Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Steadfast Sermon Series, which looks at the different areas in the Christian life in which we are called to be steadfast. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Tonight, we're going to learn about being steadfast in our giving. Being steadfast in our giving. We're going to go to a familiar portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. So I want you to stand with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Uh, this is an absolute great portion of Scripture on giving. And I'm, I'm challenged every time I read it, every time I, I preach this, this, these two passages, it's convicting. And so I'm preparing you right now. If you don't want to be convicted, go ahead and fall asleep tonight. Uh, but don't, because it's going to be a help. It'll be a big help to you. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1. Paul writes this, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God. We want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He's saying, hey, I want to tell you a story. I want to, I want to tell you about a group of churches and, and know about God's grace and God's strengthening ability and strengthening power in their life. Well, what happened with those churches, Paul? How that in, great, uh, excuse me, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty... It abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. If you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that word moreover that he uses at the beginning, uh, it kind of helps us understand that Paul is he's kind of shifting gears a little bit. And he's been talking about his heart for the church in chapter 7, and we're not going to get into all of that tonight. But he's just kind of addressing this church at Corinth and in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is just going to really lay out a number of truths about giving. He just wants believers to understand this thought. It's verse 7 and 8 when he says, As you grow in everything, don't forget to grow in giving. As you have characteristic, normal characteristics of a Christian, faith and utterance and knowledge and love, as you have those things, see that you grow in this grace also. We're going to learn tonight about growing in giving or being steadfast in giving. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into his word tonight. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, why don't you take just a moment and just give God permission to speak to you and ask him to work in your heart tonight. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. And God, I'm so thankful 
that it is a living book. Father, I know that at times I feel the pressure of conveying it, but Lord, I know that I have nothing to offer except for what you give. And so Lord, tonight I just humble my own heart before you and I recognize, Lord, that you can only do the heart work in each of our lives. And so Father, I, tell you, I pray tonight that you would take your word and your spirit and that you would work through the words that will be said in the hearts of your people. Thank you for what you're going to do. We glorify you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. I've used the illustration before and talked about it before, but how many of you have ever, um, you've ever cooked something and you've left an ingredient out? How many of you have ever done that? And probably everybody who's cooked has done that. Uh, you know, if you're making some cookies and, you know, you think about cookies, I remember when I was a kid and mom would make cookies or uh, even after we got married and Hannah would make, not when I was a kid, but uh, when I got older and Hannah and I got married and, and she'd make cookies. I remember, I remember her putting salt in there or mom growing up putting salt in there. And I thought, why are you putting salt in cookies, you know? And why are you doing that salt? No, it's supposed to put, just pile it up with sugar. Just put a bunch of sugar in there and it'll come out right. But the truth is, you don't have salt and cookies, they're not going to taste the best. Oh, they might be sweet, but they're not going to be as good as they could be because you left out the ingredients, you know, or you left out one ingredient. I, I know that that's common in cooking, but it's also common in construction. Brother Tom over here has built some things, but Tom, you ever forgot a screw or something like that? No, you know, Brother Tom never has. No, he's perfect. But you know what? If you ever built something, I know there's uh, uh, folks that like to work on cars and tinker on things and stuff like that. You know what? It's interesting that the little screws, those are important. I heard um, a few weeks ago that they did a study on the rockets that we shoot out into space, and they're made up of you know around 7 million parts. And the interesting thing is if one little screw is out of place... It could destroy the entire mission. Man, one little thing, and everything could go off kilter. You know, the, the thought about this is sometimes the things that we don't think matter, they really do matter. Everything that you would put into a, the ingredients of a cookie, it's all valuable. Every piece that you would uh, put onto a, a rocket, it's all valuable. Those of you that have ever gotten your, your kids or bought a, a play set for your kids, you ever had leftover parts? Yeah, usually you throw them out only for a month later to realize, oh, I probably should have put those on because now the wheel's falling off. You know, now that, that pedal's coming off the bike and now I have to go to the shop and find this one screw that I know I threw out a month ago and I put it all together. You just begin to understand and to realize that every single part is important because all of it completes that bike or that rocket or that cookie. Well, as you and I come to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 tonight, we're going to discover that the area of giving in a Christian's life, though at times we think, well, that doesn't really matter, that that area of giving is like that little screw. It completes the Christian's character. And the Lord comes to the church at Corinth through Paul and says to them, don't leave giving out of your Christian character. Don't leave giving out of your life. Make giving just as much a Christian attribute in your life as every other characteristic that you would look at. 
If we were to ask you tonight, well, what, care, what, Christian attribute, what Christian attribute is the most important? Some would say, well, it's love. Some would say, well, it's joy. No, 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 it's peace. No, it's, it's faith. But we have to understand that all of those attributes come together to make the Christian character. And when you look at Scripture tonight, we're going to be challenged in this very thought that just like we would want to add love and joy and peace and fruits of the Spirit to our life, that we need to make sure that we're adding giving in. And so tonight, we're going to answer the question, how do, how do we do that? How do we abound in giving? How do we stay or become steadfast in giving? Once you take your Bible with me tonight, notice that if we're going to abound in giving or if we're going to be steadfast in giving, then first of all, we need to recognize that passion is not enough. Passion or zeal or excitement about giving, that's not enough. Remember I told you that Paul's going to address giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I want you to turn over a page to 2 Corinthians 9. And look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 4. And understanding that passion or zeal or knowledge, excitement is not enough in giving. Notice what he says, 2 Corinthians 9. For as touching the ministering of the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia and Achaia, that, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, ye may be ready. Lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. From these verses, we can come to the conclusion that the church of Corinth was really excited about helping in giving. Now, again, to really understand all the context of this, <clears throat> you can go and do the research in the book of Acts. Paul, during one of his missionary journeys as he was traveling, he wanted to uh, take on an offering back to the church at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem was going through a big struggle. We don't know everything about the struggle. We could probably assume some things or guess some things. I, I kind of lean to the fact that they were uh, facing a lot of oppression because of being Christians and that uprising of, of uh, the Jewish antagonizers and Pharise Pharisees and different things that were fighting. And then the Romans were fighting against the Christians at that time. We know that persecution would rise up shortly after many of these books were written. And so all of that's taking place in Jerusalem. Because of that, we already know from the book of Acts that Christians are losing their houses. Some of them are, are seeing family members be arrested and all those things. Well, Jerusalem was the epicenter of that. It was the, it was the church that was facing the biggest hardships. So these churches in Achaia, where Corinth would be, would be uh, just south of the Macedonia area. We'll see a map in just a second. But where Achaia would be, they're, they're unfamiliar with what's going on in Jerusalem. It would really be almost like uh, us right now. Many of you maybe pay attention to the news and we hear about the coronavirus, you know, and how it's, it's affecting China and in the Philippines. And, and now there's cases in the U.S. And, well, even if that case is in Texas, unless you travel, you really don't, it doesn't really phase you. What the business of Texas or the business of, uh, of Washington, uh, well, the business of Washington, D.C. does affect us, but uh, the business of Maryland or the business of Florida, what's taking place there, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So really, the churches of Achaia, like Corinth, they wouldn't really be familiar with what's taking place at Jerusalem. 
So on one of his missionary journeys, Paul travels. He travels through Macedonia and the Ki area, and he begins to tell them, hey, listen, your brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, they are going through it. They're facing some challenges. They're facing some struggles. Listen, I know this guy's been arrested. This guy's been persecuted. Hey, James was beheaded. He was the pastor there. And this, this uh, deacon uh, suffered this. I mean, you look at, at Stephen, and they stoned him. And so Paul, you know, is maybe recounting to them the last 10 or 15 years of what's taken place in Jerusalem. Well, when that happened, you know what the church at Corinth said? Man, we got to do something. Yeah, let's do something. Well, yeah, I think, what do you think? Well, I think we should do something. What about you? Yeah. And in the whole church, they, they begin to boast. And the boasting, it's not in pride. The boasting is in accomplishment. It's, hey, hey, let's accomplish something. Hey, I think we could do something. Hey, I think that we could. And you, we read right there. He says, hey, it's superfluous for me to write to you and remind you about this. But I want to say it anyway. Do you remember when I first brought the need to you? You guys were excited. You were, you, were, you were pumped up about helping. You were uh, wanting to be a part of this. And what Paul brings to their attention is the fact that their excitement is not enough. Because if you look at what he says, he says in verse number three, yet have I sent the brethren. Hey, I'm sending people to you to remind you that your excitement is not enough, that uh, he says, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf. You see, what Paul had probably done is he's traveling, he had gone up to Macedonia and Achaia and told everybody, but when he's in Macedonia, he's telling them, hey, hey, the church at Corinth, they're excited about this. Hey, the church at Corinth, they think they can do something. Hey, the church at Corinth, they're passionate about helping with this need. And now Paul writes to the church at Corinth, hey, I've told them you're excited. Don't make me a liar. <laughs> you like what he says in verse number four? It's funny to me. He says, lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, I say, we that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. What's he saying? He's like, hey, listen, I'm sending the brethren to you to remind you about this because you were excited about it. I've told everybody that you're excited about it, and I don't want to get there with the brethren from Macedonia, and we, I really would just say you, but for association's sake, I'll say we, I don't want us to be ashamed of that boasting. What's Paul getting at? Hey, you can be passionate about giving. You can be excited about giving. But giving doesn't happen through excitement alone. Man, giving doesn't happen by just being excited about it. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to use the illustration. Uh, Brother Dan and uh, uh, Miss Sarah, Brother Jim and Miss Lee, uh, they were all on uh, staff at, at West Coast and where Robert and, El Robert and Elliot... Robert and Beth went and got my master's there. And, uh, but Dan specifically, he was, um, what was your title? Or the dean of students at the time? The <laughs> now we know. You know what? I know Brother Dan shared this with me, but there were times when students would be like, Brother Dan, I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited about school. I'm excited about what God's doing. I'm excited about college. And the school would be like, all right, pay your bill. Well, I can't, but I'm really excited to be here, you know? You know what they'd have to say? Hey, you guys went there too. Sorry, I didn't highlight you. They'd have to say, I'm sorry. 
But if you don't pay your bill, you can be excited all you want. <laughs> Brother Jim Lee was the principal of a Christian school down there. I'm sure you had this conversation with many people. Well, Brother, Brother Jim... We're excited about our student being in the school, and, and they love it, and they love the sports, and they love the teachers, and, and he'd have to say, well, I'm glad you're excited about it, but you still got to pay. That's what Paul's saying to the church at Corinth. Hey, you can be excited all you want, but excitement alone, it's, it's not going to help that giving. So what do we need to realize? We need to understand that when it comes to giving, we need to see that excitement, it's not enough. Now, should we get excited about giving to things? Well, yeah, but that shouldn't be where it ends. It shouldn't stop at the excitement. I see tonight, first of all, that passion or excitement about giving, it is not enough. But I want us to notice, secondly, that giving always follows personal surrender. All right, if we're going to be a giver, we need to remember that, that, uh, that passion is not enough. But we also need to see that giving, it always follows personal surrender. Notice what Paul says. Go back to chapter 8, verse number 1. He says, I want you to know about the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Okay, what is he talking about? Well, two different regions. I said I would highlight it, so here it is. You can look at the map, and you can see that northern area of Macedonia up there, and you can see that southern of Achaia. Well, if you were to go, the churches of Macedonia, they'd be churches like Philippi or Neapolis or Amphipolis, excuse me, Amphipolis. Say that five times fast. Uh, Apollonia, Berea, Thessalonica, those would be those churches of Macedonia. And so Paul comes to a church in Achaia, Corinth, and he says, hey, Philippi and, uh, and, and those churches, Berea, and Th- I'll just say the ones I can. Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica, they are excited about giving, and I want you to know about their giving. And he begins to recount to them that these churches gave. But I want you to notice what he says in verse number five, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. He says, they gave, and this they did, but not as we had hoped. Not as we had hoped, but they first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. They first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You know what Paul is saying? He was saying, listen, you know what they did? They gave. They met the need. They wanted to help. But they first surrendered to the Lord. Before they gave to us financially, they knew that the Lord owned it all. You see, these churches of Macedonia, they were willing to give because they knew who had given to them. So they first gave of their own selves to the Lord. This is simply just personal surrender. And I want you to notice something I've never noticed until I was studying for this message. It's the the last phrase of that verse. It says, because this they did, not as we hope, but they first gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by, what's the next few words? The will of God. So here's what I see Paul saying, and and I I really look at this, and man, it just makes sense. Paul is saying, hey, listen, the church of uh, Corinth, here's what the churches of Macedonia did. They first realized everything we have belongs to you. We are stewards. So what do you want us to do with it? 
hey, churches of Macedonia, it's my plan. This is God speaking. It's my plan. It's my will that you'd give to the church at Jerusalem. All right, Lord. Hey, Paul, God told us to do this. They first gave their own selves to the Lord, and then they gave to Paul. Why? Because it was the will of God. But do you know how they knew the will of God? Because they had personal surrender. They had a relationship. You want to know why a lot of Christians miss out on being steadfast in giving? Because they're missing out in the personal surrender. They think, we think, we often do this, it's mine. What I have is mine. Oh, I'll give to the Lord when I may be guilted into it. We'll see that in a second. But we need to understand that if we would just come to the place where we say, God, all that I am and all that I have, it's yours. Every single, every single part of it. Everything in the bank account, my house, my cars, my family, my kids, my spouse. God, the clothes I wear, the food I eat, I am simply a steward. What are we doing? We're giving personal surrender. And then when God says, hey, I want you to meet that need, we're saying, okay, that, that's your will? All right, God, boom. And that's what they did. They gave, not as we hoped, that phrase, not as we hoped, is some would look at it and say, well, Paul was really let down. You know, they gave. It wasn't like we thought they would, but they gave. I don't believe that's what he meant. Because he says, I want you to know that they gave above and beyond their power. Man, it was not like, I, was, I went into Macedonia, they're struggling. Man, they're hurting financially. And I went in there and I was just like, you know, guys, if you can, and I thought maybe I'd walk away with 20 bucks. You know, I thought I'd go in and maybe they'd pitch in and scrounge up $100 for this church. But they gave, not like I hoped. Man, they first surrendered to the Lord and then they gave unto us, they poured unto us by the will of God. We need to understand that giving starts with understanding that everything I have, it belongs to him. Steadfast giving always follows personal surrender. Notice also tonight that giving, giving is perfectly rewarded. Giving is perfectly rewarded. <coughs> Go to 2 Corinthians 9. And notice verse 6 through verse 9, it says this. Paul writes, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for or because God loveth a cheerful giver. And God... He is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You know what Paul is highlighting in this? Paul is highlighting, it takes a minute, to encourage these believers in their giving by showing them that when you give, God blesses. When you give, God meets the need. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Why? Because verse number eight, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. Hey, if you give, God is going to bless you. He's going to meet that need. He's going to help complete you. And he says to him, so don't give grudgingly. The phrase grudgingly, it means 
out of annoyance or out of our grief. I, I've, I'll be honest, I've given grudgingly. I've done that before. Uh, you know, the giving grudgingly is kind of being pressured into it. And I hate to say this, but I know as a pastor, I, I, I hate to say it, but there's probably been times where folks have felt pressured, and so they gave because I, as a pastor, maybe pressured them. And I want you to know, that's not at all what this message is to be. Man, we need to give cheerfully, not grudgingly, not pressured into it, but just with the heart of, you know what, this is God's. I, he already owns it, and if he asked me to, gave it, to give it, I'm going to give it. We're not to give grudgingly, but we're also not to give of necessity. The word necessity means to be guilted in the sense of feeling like you have to. Well, if I don't give, then God's not going, I, I have to do this. Paul's saying don't give that way. He's saying instead give cheerfully and give bountifully. Why? Because you need to know that God is a greater giver. God's a bigger giver than you are. Luke 6.38, Jesus said this, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. The last phrase is, sow sparingly, reap sparingly, sow bountifully, reap bountifully. It's basically Jesus teaching the same principle. Hey, if you give, God promises to meet your needs. When you look at this, a lot of people think, well, if I give, then that means I, you know, if, if I want more, then I better give more. Like I talked about in the, in the message this morning, I was joking, you know, well, if I tithe, I'm expecting that check tomorrow in the mail. That's not always what God does. Oh, God can do that, but that's not always what God does. No, you know what God promised for givers? God said this, but my, Paul said this to the church of Philippi about some of this same stuff, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's going, to apply all, he's going to supply all your need. I thought it was interesting years ago. The word need is singular. The word riches is plural. To what you have, it's small compared to what God has. Man, it's good to know that God blesses. He, he rewards, perfectly rewards giving. And sometimes we expect God to give back how we gave, but God gives different, God gives in different ways. I remember highlighting a few years ago, we had Brother Tom Lancaster, and I love the Lancasters, of course, our missionaries to the military. And Brother Lancaster said something I've never thought about. It's just stuck with me ever since then. He said, uh, of course, I've always known in the statement, you can never outgive God. He, he was talking about that. And so he, he said that phrase, hey, we will never outgive God. But then he said, and this is what I never thought about, you need to realize that God will not repay you the same way that you gave to him. Here's what I mean by that. A tithing member of the church, you know what God's going to do? God's going to let their refrigerator run longer than a non-tithing member. A tithing member of the church, God's going to help their dishwasher run longer than a non-tithing member. God's going to bless a tithing member of the church and let their car, let the tires last a little bit longer than the tires of somebody else. And he said, but you know what? You're never going to know it this side of heaven because God doesn't bless the way that we think God blesses. Now, can he? Can we get the check in the mail the next day? Yes. But what we need to understand, it goes back to our faith series we've been looking at, I believe God's series on Sunday mornings, that God doesn't call us to know all the answers. He calls us to simply trust in faith. So God, I don't know how you're going to 
meet my need according to your riches, but I trust you. Well, I gave and then my tires went out the next day. Maybe God's blessing you in a different way. Because we know the scripture teaches that God perfectly rewards giving. Very quickly tonight, notice with me that giving is also powerfully used. It's powerfully used. <clears throat> I'm really not going to belabor this point. Just look at it very simple, very simple thought. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 8, we already looked at it. But you know what Paul does? Paul uses the giving of the churches of Macedonia to encourage the church at Achaia, the church at Corinth. Paul writes, hey, I want you to know of the grace of God, the strength of God that was bestowed upon the churches, how that they gave in and above themselves. And, and he goes through those first four verses. But you know what Paul was doing? He was trying to use the spiritual uh, um, action of the churches of Macedonia to encourage the church at Achaia. And when you go and you look in a lot of Paul's writings, that's what Paul did often. He would say, hey, listen, Tom, I want you to see the faith of Leo and Leo, I want you to see the faith of Brian. Brian, I want you to see the faith of Isaac. And Isaac, I want you to see the faith of Anita. And, and Paul would write, hey, Tom did this. Leo, did you see that? Hey, Brian, see what Leo did? Why would he do that? He's not doing it for, to pride people up or to puff people up. He's doing it as an example. And you know what God does? God uses your giving. He uses it to be an encouragement to someone else. I was thinking about this today when looking at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. I wonder throughout history... How many people, the giving of Macedonia, how many people that's encouraged? I know in our church alone, I've preached this passage. I preach it once a year. Every year I preach the passage around missions conference. Every year I preach it. Not the same message, but I preach the same passage. So at least nine years here, and I know I've preached it probably in, in you know, 16 years of preaching. I've probably preached this passage at least 16 times. And you know what? Every time I come to it, people are encouraged. Not because of the pastor, but because of the recorded word of God. And so we need to understand that giving can be powerfully used. God used their example to encourage others. And he's used them throughout history. God, and again, we don't have time to belabor the point, but God used this to encourage Paul. He used it to encourage the churches at Corinth. He used it to encourage all of the believers that would read this from generations on. And I just want us to understand that your giving, our giving, it encourages other people. It's used by the Lord, powerfully used to bless people. I heard this last week about a church in Texas and I heard about their giving and their heart for the community. And it challenged me and it encouraged me. I've never met the pastor. I honestly, I couldn't even tell you his name right now. But I was talking with a pastor friend of mine from San Diego. Uh, Brother Chris Chadwick is his name. And we were preached there in October. We were talking on the phone this week. And he said, Dennis, I want to tell you about this guy I just preached for in Texas. And he began to tell me about this church and about their faith and about their giving and he said, man, isn't that encouraging and challenging? And I was like, man, yeah, that's a huge blessing to me. You know what? That church has no idea that their giving encouraged a pastor in Moses Lake on the weeks that I needed it. They, they, they have no idea. They have no idea that this week we're praying about this building stuff. They have no idea that this week I'm going, God, you got to show up because if we're going to do this, you got to do something. 
And yet God used that church to just challenge me and encourage me. I wonder who God wants to use you to encourage by your faithfulness in giving. Oh, I'm not saying every week you need to be like, hey, just so everybody knows, I want to encourage you. I'm giving. This is supposed to be my offering envelope, just so you know. I'm giving. I'm putting my offering in. Just so everybody knows, I want to encourage you. I'm not saying that, but you never know who's encouraged through your giving. Let's think very quickly about how our giving can encourage others. Four areas of giving. Tithing, abundance giving, sacrificial giving, and faith promise. I thought through this quickly. When we tithe, do you know who we encourage? The whole church, the community, other believers outside of our church, the lost, the staff, the pastor. Um, We encourage the bills being paid, like lights stay on. That's a good testimony for the Lord, right? What about abundance giving? You know, abundance giving is just the offering plate comes by and we just set it in. With our abundance giving, sometimes other ministries are blessed. With our abundance giving, our community is is affected. With our abundance giving, sometimes those bonuses help for uh, um, uh, the the, the staff, or maybe it's a gift that we're doing, or hospitality, or benevolence. Maybe there's someone in our church, like there are often, someone says, hey, pastor, we need $100 for groceries. We really can't afford it this month. We had this expense come up. You know what? Abundance giving blesses, and it, it encourages somebody else. Sacrificial giving. That's like our building offering coming up. I think sacrificial giving is one of the best to be involved in. You know why? Because its reach, its impact goes far beyond your years. You know, I'm thinking about right now, Brother Tom and I were talking about this last week, and I appreciate this. You know what we're thinking about? I'm thinking about where's Moses Lake going to be at? Where's Moses Lake Baptist Church going to be at in 20 years? Where's it going to be at in five years? You know why Pastor Dennis wants to be a part of giving to the building program and giving to this and, and me sacrificing and Hannah and I praying, God, what do you want to do for us? And, and I, I praise the Lord. We're even trying to just take some extra steps and make a little extra money doing little side, she calls them side hustles, doing little side things. You know, I, I try to buy stuff and sell it on Amazon and she does her art stuff and we're trying to do all that. Why? Because I just, I want to give to the building fund. Why? Because in the next 10 years, I want to see a building on that property. In the next five years, I want to see a building on that property. Why? So that we can say, look at us? No. So that people can drive by and say, hey, I wonder what that is. Hey, I wonder, that's new. Hey, I'm going to go, man, what's the service time? 11 o'clock? I'm going there on Sunday. And so our sacrificial giving can be a blessing. Missions, faith promise giving, well, that's a duh. You know who that blesses? The missionaries. Oh, and here's just a little side note. All the people that get saved there. This is, I believe, taught in scripture. Every single person that gets saved through missionaries that we support goes to your and my account. And we don't even have to do anything. (laughs) Like people who have been saved in India through Brother Moses, I've never been to India. Through the Baloos in Thailand, never been there. Through uh, uh, Brother Adam Langston, who we supported years ago in Kansas, never been there. Through Hawaii and Brother King, I've been to Hawaii, but I haven't ministered in Hawaii you know what? Every single person, Brother King, is, if you know Anthony King or pay attention to me, Brother King, God is using them. Their church right now, just after, I think, they're one year younger than us, so eight years, their average attendance is already up near 300 people every week. Their disciple, they have 50 people going through discipleship right now. 
Now we could look at that and be like, why isn't God doing that here? That's this message morning. That's morning's message. Remember that? But you know what I look at? I see that and I'm like, man, that's awesome. You know what we were able to do for the first three years of the ministry? We sent them a check every month. Hey, we we hope this will bless you. Hey, we hope this will help you. You know what our giving was? It was an encouragement. Our giving, it's an encouragement to others. And I want you to see lastly tonight as I wrap everything up, that our giving, it proves our love. I believe that's really the subject matter at hand in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. You see, if we're going to be steadfast in giving, we have to first off understand that passion is not enough. It starts or follows personal surrender. It will be perfectly rewarded. It will be powerfully used. But we have to notice or remember that giving, it proves what we love. Notice what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 8, 8. I speak not by commandment. Hey, I'm not giving this to you because I'm trying to dictate you. But by the occasion of the forwardness of others, he's talking about the example of the others. And here's why I'm telling this to you, to prove the sincerity of of your love. Hey, church at Corinth, hey, you were excited about giving. You've been, you've been challenged in this. Macedonia, they're doing this. They're, they gave God their own heart. God's used them. They've encouraged us. They've been a blessing to us. But hey, church at Corinth, don't miss it. You should give because you love him. Your giving proves your love. He would say at the end of the chapter, and I would encourage you to go through and read all of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But the last verse, I don't have it on the screen. He said this, or I do. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 24. The reference is wrong. He said this, Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Hey, show the proof of your love. The statement was made famous by Amy Carmichael. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Jesus said it this way, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, what we love, we invest in. And Paul points that out. He points out that Jesus loved you and he invested in you. The very next verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He gave that ye through his poverty might be rich. He's saying he's highlighting the love of Christ there and we know. We know that God loved us. The most famous verse most people know. For God so loved the world that he gave. He loved and so he proved it by giving his son. That he gave, it's basically saying the love of God provoked the giving of God. He loved you and that thought provoked him to give to you. Giving is the demonstration of my love. Giving is the work behind the character trait of love. Here's the simple thought. We give to what we love. We give to what we love. I could tell Hannah all the time, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if I never give her my time, she's going to think otherwise. I'm not trying to belabor the point, but I just want to simply say tonight that what we love, we will invest in. And when we love the Lord, we're going to invest in him and invest in his work. When we love him, we're going to love what he loves, people trusting Jesus. 
We love the Lord, we're going to give to him. What are we going to give? Well, I'm going to give myself to him. I'm going to give my time to him. I'm going to give my abilities to him. Every day I'm going to give my thoughts to him. I'm going to surrender and give my family to him. I'm going to give my money to him. I'm going to freely give everything that Dennis Fountain is. If I love the Lord, I am his. So I'm going to ask you tonight, are you steadfast in your giving? Or has your giving been sporadic? And so you just be challenged tonight to make the decision that I'm not going to leave out the Christian characteristic of giving. As you grow in faith and utterance and in knowledge and diligence, as you grow in all those things, see that you not forget to grow in this grace also. May we have the heart tonight that just simply prays something like this, God, help me to be steadfast. Help me to abound in my giving. But more than that, God, help it to flow out of a heart that loves you. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.